I get this question a lot. Latasha, what is your personal favorite social media platform? And the truth is, it's actually Reddit. Reddit is usually where you can find me. I mean, I hope you don't actually find me. I don't share my handle or anything because I just talk about like random stuff. Anything that pops into my head, I type into Reddit. And the other day I was browsing on Reddit. I was like, I wonder if there is a freelance Reddit. I've actually never looked into that. And indeed there is. So I thought today we could go through some of the questions. I picked 10 of my favorites that I thought you all would be interested in hearing about. There's actually some really good conversation over there. Please drop in the comments if you're watching on YouTube as well. Do you use Reddit? Are you a Redditor? Curious if any of you use Reddit also. Really quick before we hop into the episode, I wanted to let you know that the course creation toolbox is now live and available for purchase. I'm super excited to share this with anyone who is looking to create a course this year or anytime really. This course has over 12 templates available for you to help you plan, create, and ultimately launch and sell your first or your next online course. Some of my favorite resources in this toolbox are the copy and paste email sequences, the landing page template, and of course the webinar template that's editable right in Canva. So if you're tuning into this episode on launch day, there's actually special launch pricing going on right now. So you do not want to miss out. I will leave a link in the show notes for you. Let's hop into the episode. First question is called freelance protection. I'm somewhat new to freelancing and I ran into a situation where I sent a client a finished document, but with a large watermark. This turned out to be a good decision because they kept demanding one without a watermark, but wouldn't pay. So I'm wondering, what do you usually do to help protect your work from being used for free? Now, obviously the watermark um, option works really well if you were handing over some kind of deliverable. So if you are providing like a design, like a logo for a client, definitely watermark that logo before sending them the final file. For me, when I do videos for clients, I will do a similar thing. I will either watermark it, meaning I put like a transparent kind of overlay, a large overlay over the video, or something else that I've done if I'm feeling a little lazy is I'll just export it at like 420p. Technically they could still use the video, but they're probably not gonna want to when it's really low quality like that. So those are things that you can do. Somebody else mentioned deposits or full pay upfront. And that's kind of where my mind went with this as well. For those of us who provide services or even for those of us who provide deliverables, in most cases, I'm gonna recommend that you get either a deposit or get your month paid for upfront when you can. It's just the safest bet for you as a freelancer. Now, with that said, I'm gonna say a little hot take here. You have to actually make sure that you can deliver on that as well, because I also see pay in full, pay in full, pay in full, and then freelancers drop the ball on their end. So if you're at all unsure, do at least a deposit. Do a 50% deposit upfront and then 50% when the deliverables are ready. Okay, this one got removed by the moderators, but I did copy and paste it first. So I guess I'll read what I copied and pasted. Please guide a newbie, all opinions welcome. I'm trying to get into freelancing, but if I'm being very honest with you, I have no real marketable skills aside from speaking and writing somewhat decent English. Um, but let's ignore that for now. I'm trying to shortlist some top skills with the help of freelancers such as yourselves. Which skill in your opinion is worth learning and you see high growth and earning potential in? I don't really know why this got deleted. I don't know the rules of this Reddit yet. But the first follow-up question, which I'm really happy somebody asked, is what work experience do you have? And the person said marketing strategy and a bit of corporate law. My formula for this, I guess, of deciding what to offer to make this a little bit more general for everybody is what do you have experience in? 
what do you like doing or what are you really passionate about doing? And then where do those areas intersect? I think a lot of us tend to downplay our experience. You know, I used to work at the mall. I used to work at a wedding dress shop. I used to work at an Italian restaurant. Like I wasn't the owner of any of those things. I wasn't this high level executive, but I still know those industries a little bit. So if I were wanting to freelance, those might be places where I would start because I do have experience with them in the corporate world. I worked in staffing. I worked in automotive, like look through all of your experiences. It doesn't mean that you have to like own a business in that to be experienced. But on the other hand, I'm also going to be like bad cop here and say, if this person is very unsure, it sounds like, I mean, they even said, I have no real marketable skills. I will also say you can't just like mindset your way into a good career. I'm going to be honest. I know some people aren't going to like that, but you do have to believe in yourself. And in order to believe in yourself, you do have to actually have marketable skills. You have to be able to prove that you can get people the results that you're looking for. It's not all about just like believing that you're worth it. I, I know like that's a part of it for sure. And I think a lot of us do struggle with undervaluing ourselves, but you do have to actually be able to do the thing as well. How to talk with clients who treat you as a potential employee on a discovery call. Most of the time they ask me about my experience, tell me to send a CV, ask me if I'm available for two additional meetings with the tech lead and CTO and so on. Is this normal or am I doing something wrong? Would they treat me the same way if I had an agency? So I want to, okay, I want to kind of reverse answer this question. I want to answer this, this last question that they asked first. Would they treat me the same way if I had an agency? There are so many benefits to working as a solo freelancer, but there are also some benefits, you know, to working as an agency. There are pros and cons to each. And I think one of the pros of setting yourself up as an agency is that you don't get as much of this stuff. My experience has been that people did tend to treat me or do tend to treat me better or more professional, I guess you could say, if I'm representing myself as James and Park, my legal business name, my agency, if I'm bringing a team member with me on a call. I don't know what that's about. You know, I think it's just that perception of like, this is another business versus this is just this young woman, whatever, you know, not making gender out of it, but I'm just saying this individual person. I think the long story short, I think there's some things that maybe this person can do. I think having some type of a business name, a business entity, a business website, those things all help legitimize you a little bit. They help give you that, um, kind of authority in the space. I think another thing that can help is having a lot of clarity on that website about process. What are the packages? What is the process when I work with you? Those things can kind of put you in the driver's seat even more. It's not like, hi, book a call with me and tell me everything that you want me to do for you and hire me. You know, even using words like that, I see a lot of freelancers use hire me on their website. I would remove that. I would say book, book a call with me or something like that. Hire me implies that they're going to hire you like an employee. But honestly, at the end of the day, I think a lot of this comes down to just presence and like positioning, how you are positioning yourself, how you are carrying yourself. And this person might be doing all the right things where I would stop is I wouldn't send them my CV. I have not sent a resume or a CV to somebody since I was applying for day jobs years ago. Like it's probably been five years. I don't even know if I have a resume. You know, if somebody asked me for that, I just let them know I'm happy to send you my portfolio. I'm happy to send you my LinkedIn. I don't have a resume. Like that's not how this works. I don't ask my plumber for a resume. I don't ask my HVAC guy for a resume because I'm working with another business owner. How to attend a convention successfully. 
So I just signed up for my first convention in my industry and I'm curious what everyone who's been thinks about what to actually do with them. Like how do I network in such a way to bring in leads or just get the word out about my business? So I love this question because I think that this is a huge missed opportunity for a lot of freelancers. A lot of freelancers live and breathe online. I mostly do as well, but there is a whole big world out there. And I have gotten so many connections, so many great relationships out of going to events, speaking at events, but also just attending them. So how do you go? I think number one, get some business cards. I know this sounds old school, but yes, those paper cards, you only have to order them probably once in your career because uh, yeah, you're probably never gonna get rid of all 100 of them unless you go to events all the time. But yes, get some business cards so you can hand them out. I just make a point to like, whenever somebody comes up to me, whenever I go up to somebody, I say, hey, do you have a card? Here's mine. Obviously you do that in a tactful way. I don't just walk up to people and shove my card in their face. But if I have a quick little three minute conversation, hey, love talking to you. Here's my card if you wanna like reach out. You know, it can just be a lot more seamless than like, hey, what's your Instagram or what's your LinkedIn? So get a card. Another thing is that a lot of conferences and events will have kind of breakout sessions or networking. Like sometimes they'll have speed, I don't know what they call it, speed networking, kind of like speed dating. They'll have you know, collaborative events, sign up for all that stuff. Even if you're introverted, I am very introverted, y'all. Every time I've done something like that, I've always left happy. Like I've always been glad that I did it. So sign up for that stuff. I also will say, I don't go to marketing conferences looking for leads, really. That's not really my main goal with marketing conferences. It's mostly to meet friends, to meet people I can learn from, maybe collaborate with, and just to learn in general. But if I'm going to like a startup conference or a, you know, a general business conference, that type of thing, I might be more trying to meet people who could be my ideal client. They could fit into that group. But it's important to keep that in mind when you're choosing what conferences to attend. Do you wanna learn or do you want leads? If you want leads, go to industry conferences that match your ideal clients. So if you're targeting dentists, go to dentistry conference. If you're targeting retail you know, boutiques, go to like retail events and things like that. But if you wanna learn, sure, staying in your own industry can be great. Who here loves getting clients but is tired of doing the work? I just wanna sit down and write copy, wondering if anyone feels the exact opposite. I'm not asking how to attract clients. I know inbound marketing is, okay? A little snotty there at the end. I love this question. I don't really have like much advice for it, but I think it is a, a reality of freelancing that I think a lot of people are not prepared for. A lot of people think I am so good at writing copy, designing websites, making logos, building web, like whatever. They're really good at that stuff. Social media management, managing my own social media, right? So I am gonna be the best social media manager ever. And I wish that were the case, but actually a lot of freelancing and a lot of freelance success comes from the the business side of it too. Like. You know, you can be the best social media manager ever, but people might not ever hear about you. I know people who are fantastic artists, fantastic musicians, but they don't put themselves out there or they haven't been in the right rooms, unfortunately. So they are not being played on the radio, right? It's the same thing. And I think we don't really talk about that a lot. Nowadays, most of my business is fueled by inbound marketing, which is what this person talked about. If you don't know what that is, it means waiting for clients to come to you basically. So building out a content calendar, YouTube, podcast, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, and clients come in, they find you through that content and they reach out to you and say, Hey, do you want to work together? So that's the majority of my business now. And all of my most lucrative contracts have come inbound. However, when I was first starting my business, 
absolutely half of my week, if not more, was spent prospecting, meaning I was reaching out to people. I was applying to things on Upwork. I was hosting, you know, workshops and events and things like that, trying to attract clients. So you got to be prepared for that. It's not just about sitting down and writing good copy. It's also about connecting with your clients. And a lot of people don't like that. And that's one of the downsides to freelancing. Like I will never say that freelance is for everybody because that's one of the things you either, you have to get used to it. I wouldn't say that I love it or that I have ever loved it, but I just got used to it. I was okay with it, but some people really don't like it. And, um, you know, a job might just suit them better. A client's work is so brutally bad. I don't think I can help. I feel like the amount of effort I'd have to put into this project is in no way worth the money I'm making off of it. I think I'm just going to send an email saying something came up and I can no longer work on the project and send them their deposit back because I don't want this project in my life anymore. I have been in this situation before and people have gotten mad at me <laughs> um, when I've said like, I, I really don't think I can help you or I think you should focus somewhere else. I'll give you a, a more tangible example. I've had people come to me and want, you know, social media ads. They're like, I'm ready to put $50,000 into social media ads, but their product was really bad and, or their website was really bad. Like they didn't even have tracking on their website. Like they didn't have Google analytics installed or Facebook pixel or anything like that, but they wanted to run 50 K in ads. And I was like, no, I will not do this. I will not do this for you. And clients have gotten mad at me before. They've been like, you're going to say no to my money. And that's hard. That is the hard part of this. But I also think it is really important for consultants and, and people who are giving advice, essentially, and making recommendations for them to be honest. I don't think you're doing your job if you're not saying, hey, this is what I recommend. This is how I can help. This will not be effective if you do not do X, Y, Z first. So yeah, I think this person is doing the right thing. You know, the other thing I'll say about that is, yeah, it's easy to make a quick buck. I could, I could do a lot of things for a quick buck, you know, coaching, for example, coaching is super limited for me because I want people to be in a certain place before they invest in something like that. I could say yes to everybody, take everybody's money. That's fine. But one, I'm not going to like feel good about myself. And two, I'm not going to have projects to point to that I'm proud of or clients that I can point to and ask for testimonials and stuff that I'm super proud of because if they really were not ready for it and then they don't actually take action and then they're just like in the hole financially, that's not a good look. So you want to make sure that you are taking on projects that you can be proud of and that you can, you know, that can help build your career as well from a selfish perspective, I guess. How do you deal with the chaos of freelancing? This person's a graphic designer. I've been a full-time contractor slash freelancer for a few months now, and it's very hectic. I'm constantly switching between projects and clients. For the people who have been freelancing full-time, does it ever get better? Do you get into a groove of things at some point? Is it even sustainable to be doing this for years lifestyle-wise? Some people say the chaos is actually why I started freelancing. Some people are saying it gets better, ask for more money. So I would agree with all of those things. I, the first comment, I would definitely agree, like, I got very bored in corporate. I just felt like every day was the same. And I loved my job. My job was very good to me. They paid me well, like all, all the things. Like I'm not trashing my job. I think there are just some people who are built for freelancing. I got very bored. Um, I didn't like sitting and like staring at a computer. Like I like to be out there talking to clients, meeting with clients, doing the things, creating the content, like being involved in all aspects of the project. So the chaos is part of why I like it. So again, I'm not saying this person is, can never you know, be a good freelancer, but I'm just saying know that, you know, before you go into it, that every day is going to look a little bit different. Every role, every client is going to look different. 
so on. And then, yeah, I do think it gets better. I mean, this person says a few months. Yeah, a few months, I definitely felt chaotic. A few months into full-time freelancing, I definitely had not gotten like that, that contract yet. You know, that contract that made me say, you can take a break. You can sit down, you can stop prospecting for a couple of weeks. You can enjoy your life a little bit. I did not get that contract until like a few months in, like it was probably closer to like maybe five or six months, not three or four months. And so those first few months, I was anxious. I was stressed. I was eating beans and rice every day, all day. I was saving my coins. It was Norris's birthday. I had been freelance for like two months and I always make a big deal out of birthdays. Birthdays for me are like bigger than Christmas. And I felt really bad because I was really pinching pennies at that point. And I remember I got an invite, a press invite for this really fancy new restaurant. It was like this rooftop restaurant, downtown Detroit. I happened to get this invite like two days before his birthday. And I was like, thank you. Even though I had the money, like obviously I could have taken him out. And of course he was not pressuring me to, but I was trying to like be smart financially. And I was really worried. Like I was very much in that, like, oh my gosh, um, this is not going to work out season a couple months in. So I'm just saying that to let you know that I've been there and it does get better. I do think that raising your rates is never really a bad idea. Assuming they're doing good work that can help really with some of that peace of mind. You know, if you get two $2,000 contracts, $4,000 contracts, that puts you a lot more at ease than, you know, five, $500 contracts, you know? So I would recommend that, but it definitely does get better. Let me know what your first few months of freelancing was like in the comments. If you're on YouTube, I would love to hear like the real side. <laughs> Anxious about turning down work. It's been a really slow year and I've been living off my savings. Today, unexpectedly, I got two different offers from clients I've never worked with both with really tight turnarounds, but really good pay. But I would have been stressed trying to get it done. The first one I hesitated, but decided to decline. Second one came in and disappointingly the same situation. So I'll more than likely decline tomorrow. I did read some of the comments earlier and a lot of people are saying, you know, you would have been stretched too thin to do good work. It's always hard to turn down good work, but ultimately you made the best decision. So I agree with that. I just like, I've been turning stuff down. Basically anything that's coming in for Q4, I've been turning down right now. It's really hard, but I need, I'm telling myself I need at least December clear so I can work on my book. And I need most of December or November clear as well. Existing clients, that's a different thing, but like new clients that are coming in with, hey, can you create this course for us? Can you host this thing? Can you come fly out? No. And some of these things have been big, big projects. So I understand the feeling. And there is that position of, you know, you do have to do what's right for you. But with that said, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to take an unpopular opinion. And somebody else on this Reddit said something similar. So I'm glad at least one person's backing me up. Um, I know it's going to be a little girl boss of me, if you will, but I'm turning things down and I have had a successful year. I've had a good year. Um, I am expected to at least do as well as I did last year, but hopefully a little bit better. I have money in the bank. Obviously anything can happen. So I'm not trying to get overconfident. You can't get overly confident but I feel pretty good about where I'm at financially right now. If that were not the case, if this were Latasha two months into full-time freelancing, I would crack open a Red Bull and get to work. Maybe not a Red Bull. That might kill me nowadays, but a coffee, make a pot of coffee and get to work. This happened to me many times in my early days. I mean, I remember one year I was working on 
black was it thanksgiving actually one year i was working on thanksgiving to launch a course which is now like made me i don't know a lot of thousands of dollars a lot of money i was working my butt off to finish that another year i think it was christmas I was optimizing ads on Christmas Eve for a client. I wouldn't do that this year. I already told you I'm not doing it this year, but I didn't have like the business I have. And there is a season, I think, where you have to be, I don't want to say you have to, but it's in your best interest to be open to opportunities and snag them while they're hot. I also will say this time of year, Q4, I think it's a great time for new freelancers. I think if you are willing to work on a holiday, if you are willing, again, I know this sounds real girl boss, so I know I'm whatever, cancel me if you want to, I don't care. But if you're willing to work on a holiday on a weekend, if you are willing to answer an email, you know, quickly, like within a day, early bird gets the worm kind of deal, Q4 can be really lucrative for new freelancers because experienced freelancers overbooked freelancers, agencies, they're booked up. They're closing their doors for the holidays. They're adhering to like that typical holiday schedule. So if you keep your office open in December, when I'm mine is closed, where do you think all those clients are going to go? They're going to go to the newer folks. So while I do think it's important to like respect your own boundaries and, you know, manage whatever, all that stuff, I also think you should take opportunities when you can. I kicked my slipper. I got so excited and my foot is cold. So let's fix that. How do you tell clients in a professional manner? You snooze, you lose. I had to give up a number of assignments from a couple of clients recently because they dragged their feet on getting back to me with a proposed schedule. Sad thing is those assignments would have paid me more, but I got tired of waiting and filled my schedule in the interim. How do you make it clear to your clients that can't keep you waiting that long before you just cut them off completely? I love this question. I shared in my newsletter recently, the magic email, one of my accountability groups, somebody in that group, he mentioned that the magic email, it's like a script to send people if they're dragging their feet. If you're waiting on deliverables, you're waiting on, you know, whatever. It basically just says, hi, I'm going to assume your priorities have changed for this project. And then that will like activate them to either say, oh my gosh, no, I still want to work with you. Or they'll just be like, okay, yeah, no longer interested. So I'll leave a link for that in the resources if you want to check that out. So I think that's a good one to have on hand when you're waiting for clients, you know, to sign a contract or whatever. But I think even before you get to that follow up point, I think you got to set expectations on whatever type of communication you're having with them to begin with, whether that's a discovery call, whether that's a proposal, whether that's an email, whatever. I think you should say, I'll need to know your answer, um, you can wordsmith this a little bit and make it sound better than what I just said. Um, but you know, I'll need to know your decision by whatever this time next week, or please return your onboarding materials, you know, a week from today to ensure a timely onboarding or something like that. You can make it sound professional, but put that in there because a lot of people don't realize that a lot of us have choices now too. We're not all just like desperate, just waiting for somebody to work with us. We have, we have choices. We might not have to take a project. We might just be taking it because it seems interesting. We're not all super desperate. So I think it's important that you let them know that you can do it in a gentle, respectful way. Don't say I'm not desperate for your money, but just put that expectation there on the discovery call and ask them, Hey, when can I follow up? That's when I like to go to on the discovery call. I'll say, cool. I'll send over your proposal. It should be in your inbox tomorrow. When should I expect to hear back from you? Last question is a good one. How to increase client capacity. 
I've reached max capacity in terms of working with too many clients on a freelance basis. I get quite stressed, but my marketing is very good. And I get a lot of new clients who want to work with me about three to four times what I can handle and feel like I need to say no because I'm overwhelmed with current capacity. How do you recommend increasing your capacity? Should I hire a team? I read the comments on this one as well earlier today. I think this is the top upvoted response. It says, I'm not sure hire a team is a should I question, but more of a, is that what you want to do? Because nobody can know if you'll really enjoy it. As soon as you start hiring others, you're going to have to become a manager of people and not just a projects. And I'm really glad this person brought that up. So there are really two ways this person can increase capacity. They can raise their rates or they can hire a team. There's maybe some automation that they can do as well. You know, look at all of their tasks, look at everything they're doing. Is there any way that they can automate any of those things? Can they schedule things? Can they use, you know, I don't know, um, AI, I don't know, maybe don't do that, but you know, there might be some areas that they can automate for me. Like Zapier has been a godsend, for example, because it, it basically acts as like a virtual assistant for me. It will take spreadsheets and put them into email systems and take email systems and put them into course platforms. You know, it'll do a lot of things for me. So maybe there's some areas that they can automate as well. But overall, I would say that those are the two things, hire people or raise your rates. Raising your rates will not technically increase your capacity. It will actually kind of like, it will lower the demand is what it will do. It will act as a filter. It will, you know, if your projects start at $5,000 and previously they started at 2000, well, there's, that's going to cut out a lot of your wait list. That's going to cut out a lot of people who want to work with you. Now, one thing that you can do with all those people who can no longer afford you is maybe there is similar to automation. Maybe there is um, some type of, on-demand service or some lower tier way that you can help them. For example, maybe you can offer like uh, consulting sessions with them instead of done for you work. Maybe you can create a course about whatever it is that you do. Maybe you can host a workshop or some group type offer for those folks who cannot afford to work with you at that 5k price point. And then all the people who can afford that 5k price point, well, now you're able to just work with maybe three or four of them in a month and call it good. Um, and then the other option, of course, is, yeah, keep your pricing the same and then hire people who can basically like act as additional hands. But going back to that top rated response or top upvoted response, I would agree with that. Just like a lot of people are not prepared for freelancing to be so hard in terms of finding clients, a lot of people are not prepared for hiring people to be so hard either. And I speak from experience. It is not just cloning yourself, right? I'm not like making a copy of myself who has my exact brain, who has my exact quirks and ways of wanting to do things and attention to detail and sense of urgency and life experiences. Like that's not the case. You're working with brand new people who bring original new things that you can probably learn from. Yes. But also you have to train those folks and you have to set your expectations and you have to communicate those things. And sometimes it's not always fun or always pretty. Sometimes it just doesn't stick. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Now you are a manager and it's a lot of work. So it depends. It really does depend on what you want to do. If your ultimate goal is to be hands-off and you just want to be signing checks and handling the personnel, doing the HRs, that kind of stuff, then yeah, maybe now is the time to hire, you know, to start building out that team. But if that's not what you see for yourself, if that's not what you want for your business, and if you don't really like working with people, if you, you know, whatever, it, it totally depends for each person. So I don't think hire a team is the end all be all answer to this question. I think most of the time it's raise your rates actually, or develop a different way to help people. That's why I started my courses really, because a lot of people would want to work with me for coaching, 
And that is something that I really have to limit for myself. I love doing it so, so much, but I can only work with one person at a time I've found. And that's really not like incredibly profitable. I couldn't make a full-time income only working with one coaching client a quarter. So instead I offered courses to say, Hey, if you want to learn this, do this, you know, and so on. So I think those are really the the, the two options, you got to decide which one is right for you. That's it for today's episode. I hope it was helpful. I hope you enjoyed I hope you have a wonderful weekend. If you don't mind leaving me a thumbs up, a comment, subscribing, wherever you are rating review on the podcast platforms that greatly helps this channel, this podcast. And yeah, that's it. Have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.